0: you to the uh, Holy Spirit class. Mm-hmm. And First, we'll start off with prayer. Uh, what you need to be praying, though, is that this is not simply a discussion that's academic. You need to be praying that the Holy Spirit will actually uh, come in great power and that there will be an experiential involvement as well as simply learning about it, because the only reason you come into a class like this, or even to get into Scripture, is not to acquire information, but it's to acquire the knowledge of Him. And anytime the Scripture talks about knowledge and knowing, the word it's using is experiential knowing. Uh, it rarely is referring to an academic or intellectual knowing. And particularly in the New Testament when it's talking about knowing Him, or the knowledge of Him, it is referring to an experiential knowledge of Him. The one that exceeds mere intellect, although it starts here. I mean, it has to start here. It starts with our minds, but it needs to go on and grasp the totality of our being. Uh, in order for it to be effective. And any time you study scripture, that is what you are ultimately trying to do is to come into an in-depth experiential knowing of him and not simply to acquire information. You study theology or fundamental doctrine, you do that because that's how he's revealed himself. And so you, you always want to be knowing him. Well, let's pray, I'm gonna close this door you can lock it, let them beat on it, right? <laughs> I had a, in, yeah, I leave it unlocked. In, in law school, um, I had, uh, we had a professor that had the habit of when he came to class, he locked the door and closed it. And he was extremely difficult individual to deal with. He hated people who were unprepared. And one time he caught a guy unprepared. And the, he, he said, I can't stand people who don't prepare for my class, it really upsets me. And he started gripping the lectern and the lectern started shaking and the veins popped out in his neck and he turned red and he slammed the book shut and walked out. And so the next day, of course, everybody was huddling in the corner of the class. They were frightened for what was happening. He came in, put his books down, locked the door. And he said, um, I want to apologize for the way I acted uh, yesterday, but you've got to understand I will not tolerate people being unprepared in my class and he got to talking about that and the lectern started shaking again (laughs) and veins popped out, turned red, he slammed his book shut and walked out again. Again? Well, I'll tell you that story to tell you this story and that is that he had a habit, as I said, of locking the door when he came to class. (laughs) If you didn't get the class before him, you didn't get in class. And the first day of law school, he taught a freshman class, and a freshman who was his first day at law school got there late, door was locked. <laughs> he was on the uh, first floor, so he went around, intelligent, initiative-filled fellow that he is, found a janitor's ladder, saw that one of the windows was open on the classroom where he was, came, put the ladder up on th- next to the door, come in, next to the window, climbed up, fell through the blinds, <laughs> made this horrible noise. When he stood up, uh, the Professor Bailey was already standing there with his, his lectern shaking and the veins popping out, and he said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm sorry, Prof, some jerk locked the door. <laughs> <laughs> They say he is buried somewhere behind the law school. We, we've never found him. Okay, what I want to do is I want to pass the uh, lect- uh, the, uh, what, the roll around. If you would just, and uh, I think I checked your name for you. Uh, if your name is checked, it's because I, I checked it, some of you. But go ahead and check your name. If your name is not on here, just write it on and we'll send you a bill for forty dollars later <laughs> send the money to me not the church um we will try to take a break uh about five minutes before the hour and the lunch is 12 and they say twelve ish whatever that means uh and we will try to uh, stay consistent with our breaks uh, when i'm speaking i don't mind if you ask questions I would prefer this not to be a straight lecture don't take us off down the rabbit trail though but you know if if you've got something you want to ask that's not pertinent exactly to what we're saying i'd be glad to talk to you uh, during a break or if you want to come up during the break and ask questions that's fine too uh, but uh, those of you that are in my class on sunday morning know that it's not unusual for people to uh ask questions or give observations or uh, you know we get testimonies and sometimes you know what happens is the lord uses that to move us the direction he wants us to go in so generally when i'm speaking to a group i don't uh, limit it i don't require them to sit still patiently while i lecture Uh, but uh, that having been said uh, that's The only thing I can think of that we need to establish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we have nothing to commend ourselves before you except the blood of Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that you have called each one of us uh, to be in your kingdom and that you specifically have brought each one here today. Uh, And our desire, Lord, is that your holy spirit would come and minister to us i ask first of all that you would put your words in my mouth as you have promised and i pray that you would uh, cause your spirit uh, your spirit would cause our ears uh, to be opened uh, and that the things that we hear uh, would be things that touch our hearts We don't want to come away with increased knowledge alone. We want to come away with changed hearts. And Lord, if it is pleasing to you, and we would ask for this, we'd ask that your Holy Spirit would fall on us and we would begin to experience and do the things we're talking about because we acknowledge that our greatest need is an overwhelming revival like Pentecost. And Lord, if you'd started here, we're open to that. And we'd ask you to do that. We ask that you would control everything that is said here. We ask that you would control the study uh, and uh, the discussion. We ask it not for our glory, but yours. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. <coughs> now, what we're going to be trying to do here, come in. I'll we'll have some water. should, should go back here. Okay, well. Yeah, I'm gonna sell it. <laughs> <laughs> what we're gonna be trying to do here is to learn, uh, for many of you, some of this initially may be very basic, uh, but we're going to be kind of starting at the beginning. We're gonna be talking about uh, who the Holy Spirit is uh, and what he does. And I wanna, oh, thank you. I want to sort of begin by giving you a little bit of a personal testimony. Uh, because early on I began to encounter the issues involved in the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of, the Holy Spirit has been a controversial uh, thing and uh, unnecessarily in my opinion, but be that as it may, we'll get into that. Uh, I uh, was led, if you will, brought to Christ, uh, brought to faith in Christ uh, and I categor—I began it in January of 1968. Now I don't have a time where I can say I bowed my head and said, "Jesus, come into my heart." Uh, what happened was, I had an opportunity uh, in January of 1968. I was a senior in law school at the University of Texas, and so I was back home. Uh, uh, between uh, semesters, uh, and I happened to hear uh, a British missionary named Stuart Briscoe come in. And uh, for me, uh, I I had no real interest in spiritual things at all. I regarded the value of the Bible strictly as medicinal. Uh, It was an excellent cure for insomnia. All you had to do was open it and bang, I would fall asleep. I considered the Bible to be full of historical errors, uh, and I wasn't interested in it at all. I tell people that my knowledge of the scripture was such that I thought the epistles were the wives of the apostles, which made lots of sense to me. But in January of 1968, I happened to hear Stuart Briscoe, and Briscoe at the time Anybody familiar with Stuart Briscoe? You familiar with Jill? I bet you're more familiar with Jill than Stuart. Uh, I really like Jill better than Stuart in terms of the teaching. I I really like to listen to her teach. But Stuart, to me, this is my first encounter with him, and it was like listening to Bob Hope, Billy Graham, and Rex Harrison all rolled up into one. (laughs) And he was a six-foot-something guy, weighed over 200 pounds. He'd been a Royal Marine and and a champion rugby player. And I was just fascinated uh, by this guy, and he was speaking on Ephesians 1, 18 through twenty-three, and on Ephesians three twenty, and those have become uh, that's become a passage that's probably been the guiding force uh, in the way I operate. And this is what he says: he, Paul is praying for the Ephesians. Now Paul is in Rome in prison. And he's praying for the Ephesians as he writes this letter to them. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart... Well, let me move back to 17. He says uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ... Now, this is part of his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, there's the word knowledge again. And that word means experiential And in particular, when it's given in connection with revelation, it means experiential knowledge. The knowing of him. And if it's the only way you come to know him is if revelation is given to you from his spirit. And so if it's revelation given to you from his spirit, it can't be merely academic. It has to be experiential. So he says that you would, uh, that he would give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And then he says, and I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know. Notice the word know again. Uh, and let me stop here again and say this is why he's praying. Because it's only possible to know in the experiential sense if God gives it to you. It's not necessary to pray that we would have academic knowledge, intellectual knowledge. It's necessary to pray that you would have the knowledge that comes from the revelation of him. Because that's where it comes from. So, that you would know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of the power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might Hi, Susan. Paul is saying that I am praying that God will give you an eye-opener of the tremendous power available to you in Christ. It is a power that is at work in you. And he is giving you a definition of that power by showing you that God used his power to raise Christ from the dead and seated him above all heavenly rule and authority and placed every name that can be named under his feet. See? And if that power, what Paul is saying is that power is available through you. Yes. See, in the Holy Spirit. Briscoe made the comment, and that's never left me. Is the only time a Christian has to worry, is when he steps into a situation bigger than the resurrection. Good. Now he was he was capping that with Ephesians three, twenty, which is a end of a prayer. Also, Paul has two <laughs> prayers in Ephesians. And Ephesians 20 and 21 is really a doxology, doxological prayer, if you will. I love to make up words. (laughs) Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly uh, beyond all that we ask or think, according to what? The power power that is at work in you. See? See? According to the power that works within us. What are we referring to? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We shell the Holy Spirit short all the time. We limit what he can do to according to how we can comprehend it. And Paul is saying, no, no, God's not limited by that. And he's prepared to do far more by the power at work in you. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The thing I love about Paul is anytime he gets to talking about Jesus, he bursts into a doxology sooner or later. Uh, So I heard this, and it completely turned me upside down because what little I knew, I always thought that I had to somehow work through God to accomplish good deeds or that it was based on me doing my thing. And the idea that it was the power of God working through me never had entered my mind. And it absolutely... Uh, turned me upside down, and what I discovered, even though there was not a point in time where I bowed my head and said, Jesus, come into my heart, and that may be true of you. It isn't true of me, and it doesn't necessarily mean if it isn't true of you uh, that you actually had a moment where you said that. doesn't mean that you haven't legitimately been saved. What happened was I went back down to law school to begin the second semester, and I suddenly had this tremendous hunger to know the Word of God. Uh, you know, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes sincerely de- desire the sincere milk of the Word, which is able to bring you unto salvation. And so I, what I did was, you know, when you're in law school, it's, it's not that you have to be brilliant to get out of law school. It's that you have to put up with the grind. And so you go to class in the morning, in the afternoon, and then you go to the law library, and you stay into studying from about s- five in the evening to ten or ten thirty at night, getting ready for the next classes. Uh, and so that's what I was doing, and what I decided that I would do is I would, uh, I would be. It was in the law school library, and so what I I'd, I'd made the decision. And, And I've got I had big schedule in those days and this is but and we all do. But I had this hunger for the word of God. And so what I decided I would do is at seven o'clock I would stop studying in the in the law school library there, which was on their main floor, and I had a little good news for modern man, that's all I had. uh, There weren't any Christians around me that I knew of. I was living in a Fraternity house and that well where everybody lived like the devil, and so I I took this little good news for modern man and I went downstairs into the basement of the law library and there was nothing down there and nobody down there it was dark there were some study carols on the far side with lights in the study carol you know you know what a carol is where you can sit at the little desk and turn the light on the only thing down there uh, were ghosts and the Puritans' uh, statutes of the of the Massachusetts Bay Colony from 1658. Fascinating reading if you ever want to mm-hmm. look at it. Uh, and so I went down there at 7 o'clock and I went over to one of those little study carols and I flipped on the light and I read God's Word. And I didn't know how to start. I didn't know where to start. I started with the book of James. Today I wouldn't. Nothing wrong with James. It's just If you're a new believer, that's probably not where you want to start. Started with the book of James. How do you read, how do you study the Bible? I don't know. So the only thing I knew to do was study it the way I studied to get ready for law school classes. And so what I did is I read the book of James all the way through that first night. And then I went back and read chapter one again. And then the second night, James all the way through in chapter two. And then the third night, James all the way through in Chapter 3. The fourth night, this by now is a Thursday night, James all the way through in Chapter 4. Friday night, James all the way through in Chapter 5. Why did I do that? When you're getting ready for law school classes, you read a case. The first time you read it, you're just trying to figure out what it's about second time you read it, you begin to pick up things you didn't see the first time because now you know what it's about and you're not looking for that. The third time you read it, you pick up more things you didn't see the first two times. And so you begin to, and your mind will begin to analyze and categorize and you begin to look through that. And so that's what happened. By the first week, I would read James six times. And I was beginning to see things, in, and how long did it take me, 35, 40 minutes? And I was beginning to see things in the book of James that I hadn't seen before with new each time I read it I was picking up this and picking up that and so I next, the next I finished James picked up Philippians finished Philippians that way went to Ephesians and from January to May systematically read the New Testament epistles that way and, there was, and what you began to see is as you get into two or three more books Philippians Ephesians, Galatians, then all of a sudden I was beginning to see, oh, James said that about this over here. And so I am beginning to cross-reference. And and somewhere in that period, uh, God showed me what the gospel was. Somewhere in there, I got saved. Uh, I began to grasp and understand what the gospel was. But it was the Holy Spirit was doing it. The Holy Spirit was the one. Leading me into that, and the other thing is, it enabled me to lay a solid foundation in the New Testament epistles without being taught by any human being. Uh, so I wasn't. It was sort of like, you know, uh, empty slate, and God was just showing me, and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know anything about what was going on. I was just down there reading my New Testament epistles systematically, the way I got ready for law school. Any of you can do that. Now that. For some people that's an effective way to study god's word, and I'd recommend it to you that doesn't mean that's the only way you study god's word and today it's not the only way I study god's word. But if you want to just pick a book like Philippians and read it once a week, uh, once a night every for a week, you'll be, I think be surprised at what you pick up after you've uh, had a week of say reading Philippians five times, it'll take you thirty minutes at that. It's only four chapters. Philippians is a thank-you note, incidentally. Uh, but you'll pick up stuff if you want to do that. Now, okay, this is not about studying the Bible. This is about the Holy Spirit. Um, what I didn't know uh, was that uh, there was a tremendous debate. As I came into the kingdom and was you know, called out of the world into the kingdom, every one of you... Uh, presumably that you've been called out of the world into the kingdom. And what I didn't know when I came into the kingdom was that there was this tremendous debate going on over the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And at the time, now, my mother was a strong believer uh, at the time. In fact, she prayed the rest of us into the kingdom. She, with friends of hers, were... Uh, involved in a very dynamic prayer group in those days and healing was fairly common. They'd ask God to heal somebody and what do you know? God would heal them. So it never dawned on me that there was any dispute that the Holy Spirit functioned today just like he did uh, back then. And uh, as what happened is as I got involved in this, I got involved on both sides of the aisle. I found out there were two sides to the aisle. There was what the one side was the charismatic side who said the Holy Spirit functions today the way uh, he always did. And then there was the cessationist side of the aisle. Cessation meaning uh, what that means is is that they believe that the Holy Spirit ceased to function in the same way, completely in the same way in which he did in the first century, uh, they would say that, c- c- and, and in the cessationist side, y'all with me? What I'm talking about? Yes. Typically, your Bible church, uh, your Baptist <coughs> church, uh, Presbyterian. A lot, you know, a lot of folks are going to be cessationist. and typically, your cessationist view. Uh, has variations within it. Some say that all of the gifts of the Spirit don't function anymore. and But more commonly, the ones that are more obviously supernatural in origin are the ones they say have ceased to, to function after uh, the canon became complete. Now, where I'll, I'll disagree with them right here on this point. They're saying that the apostles, uh, that was necessary because the apostles because the canon hadn't been written, the Bible, but once the Bible was written, that wasn't necessary. What I would suggest to you is the New Testament came into effect to take over the authority that the apostles had while they were alive, but the Holy Spirit continues to function as he always has. Why wouldn't he? Um, But anyway, that's the cessationist viewpoint, and that's due to cause, uh, particularly in the 70s and 80s, I don't know, I've been so away from that for so long. I don't know if that's still a tremendous controversy or not. Does anybody know? I mean, is that. You I have
1: to say, I'm the only one of five siblings that's crossed over to the Holy Spirit is still working.
0: Okay. So, from it's,
1: I, my
2: upbringing.
0: It's still an issue. Uh, uh, it's still a strong issue. But uh, Jesus said, in, uh, and uh, let me say this I think, candidly, folks, there's ignorance on both sides. Uh, that causes controversy. There there shouldn't be controversy. Uh, And uh, and controversy, I think, comes from a misunderstanding of the Scriptures. Part of it is that we tend to evaluate and interpret the Scriptures based on our own particular theological base. And that's not always an effective way to do it. Um, Jesus said this to the Pharisees in Mark 12, verse 24. Jesus said to them, is, not, is this not the reason you are mistaken that you, are, you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God? The reason I picked that verse is because I, uh, I think it can classify both of those groups. Uh, I think, for example, he says you do not understand the scriptures. is because if you take the charismatic side. And, and be careful about what I'm about to say here, folks, because it's always dangerous to paint a group of people with a broad brush. And it'll be equally dangerous for me to say this about the cessationist and suggest that it's true of everybody on that side. So hear me carefully. But so often on the charismatic side, the, the extreme in the charismatic movement is the crazies. I mean, they swing from a chandelier sometimes. Um, and you get all kinds of things like barking dogs and cackling chickens. Folks, that's not the Holy Spirit. And what happens is when the Holy Spirit comes in in power, the enemy comes in to counterfeit. Uh, But you have people doing all kinds of screwy stuff, uh, and that is not the Holy Spirit. In the Great Awakening in the 18th century, both in England and America, you had the tremendous power pouring out of the Holy Spirit, which we need to be praying for now, because if it doesn't happen, there's no hope for us as a nation. It's got to happen. But in the Great Awakening in the 18th century, the enemy came in to begin counterfeiting. And Jonathan Edwards, one of the great intellectual thinkers and one of the movers in the Great Awakening of that time, wrote a pamphlet dealing with the enemy coming in and counterfeiting particularly with demonic signs that people were mistakenly thinking uh, was the Holy Spirit and we still make those mistakes uh, i I've, I've heard of I haven't been there but I've heard of situations where people the spirit supposedly false people are running around on all fours barking like dogs and cackling like chickens and all that sort of thing. That is not the Holy Spirit. He does not demean the human being when he does that. Now he may come in and do some freaky things but demeaning his people is not one of them.
2: How about laughing Jerry?
0: I think it's borderline Jimmy.
2: <coughs> I, have, I have been
0: in a, a situation once at a church in Mansfield where uh, this man came in and was speaking on and he and he, people got to laughing and I do I wondered. Is it Bob Hope? <laughs> no, <laughs> it wasn't Bob Hope. Jack. It wasn't funny. <laughs> you know I mean? It was just the uh, I'm familiar with it's called the, holy laughter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have to weigh that very carefully. Um, is there I'll tell you, I I'm not gonna condemn it because I, I don't know. I'm not qualified to sit here and say the Holy Spirit would never make you laugh. I don't see that that necessarily demeans you, although it can go to the extent that it does. You following me? But I don't see anything in Scripture where that happens. Uh, I, don't, I don't see an axe where they're all rolling in the aisles. Yeah. Uh, does that mean that the Holy Spirit is limited to what's in the Scripture? No, it's not but you have to look carefully at these phenomena, particularly those that are not in Scripture. And you have to um, weigh them carefully, consider the context. Uh, Slain in the Spirit is something that is not particularly listed in the Bible. But, and Edwards dealt with this in his pamphlet because they were seeing that happen. Uh, in the Great Awakening and Edward said if a guy, he says you have to look at the fruit of the result of the sign indicating that the Holy Spirit is on him. If a guy who's drunk on Saturday night beats his wife and children comes in to the meeting is supposedly convicted by the Holy Spirit, falls out on the floor and is converted, he said you have to look at what the fruit of that is. If his life is utterly changed and you begin to see that and his ways are now different, yeah, I would say that was a valid phenomena of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> but if he goes back to drinking on Saturday night and beating his wife, that was not the Holy Spirit. So you have to look at what the results is and what the fruit is and not simply say, oh, it's, it's supernatural, it must be the Holy Spirit. No, the enemy can and does uh, fake these things in order to draw people away from what the Holy Spirit is really doing. You see some guy come in, fall out flat, under the power of the Holy Spirit, everybody's excited, and then he gets up and goes back to doing exactly what he was. The unbelievers say, ha, it's all a bunch of baloney. Mm-hmm. Because we as human beings tend to go on surface things without thinking them through. So in, in response to your question, maybe it can be But you have to look very carefully at it, and if it gets out of hand, I would suggest that it's not the Holy Spirit. Yes, ma'am. The
1: only thing I was going to add to that then would be, because we're not looking just only at the Holy Spirit then in just the New Testament, but we're also looking at them from the Old Testament sense. Right. And And within Proverbs, it does say laughter is... Good for the heart. Good for the heart. It's
0: It's not necessarily suggesting that it's a holy laughter from the Holy Spirit. Exactly.
1: But like you're also expressing though, to be real. and if we as believers are trying to say we want to see the manifestation of, of the whole concept of what God words mm-hmm. true for us, then how are we going to be able to monitor if that person who is slain in the spirit, how are we going to be able to monitor if we never run them again? And we make out, we base our judgment on what we see right there because we in that predicament yeah. just right there then we might be to a point where we're closing off our minds. Yeah, Edward's
0: point is you can't do that. Exactly. Yeah, Edward's exactly. point is you've got to do you've got to evaluate what you're seeing. Yeah. And so many people go off the deep end because if it's supernatural, it must be the Holy Spirit. No, we've got an adversary. Yeah. I teach the course on spiritual warfare. <laughs> too. Right. right. So, uh, you've got to be careful. Now, um, that said, that does not however the Holy Spirit is definitely in the Pentecostal church and in the charismatic movement. I mean, there's no, the most powerful examples in the 20th century of evangelism is in the Pentecostal church. I mean, yes, they've got a lot of screwy things going on, and no, I don't agree with all their doctrine. But is the Holy Spirit there. Yes, you have to look at the total fruit of what's going on. Uh, and they're powerful evangelists. Uh, Some of their pastors are tremendous people in the Word of God. Now, a lot of of charismatics that I run into don't don't know the Word of God very well. I've defended pastors who were charismatic pastors. I had to defend them in a lawsuit because they completely violated God's Word in their business transactions and got sued. You know, I said, well, didn't you know Proverbs said this, this, and this? It does? Where? You know, and you pointed out to them. Uh, today, the word of knowledge of the word of God is generally ignorance across both aisles. So, few people seem to know the word of God. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians 14.23 says that if an unbeliever comes in and you're all speaking in tongues, will he not say you're nuts? Of course, Paul doesn't use the word nuts Uh, the Greek word is actually cuckoo, uh, but he's saying they will think you're mad if you're all jabbering and speaking in tongues because obviously you can misuse this phenomena and do more harm than good. So there's a proper way to use it. And one of the problems on that side of the aisle is they tend not to evaluate as effectively as they ought to. And part of that is due because many are not well-grounded in the Word of God. But there are some fine... Charismatic pastors who are so don't misunderstand me. Uh, there's a you know, I'll give you a guy. I don't agree with his all of his doctrine, but Jack Hayford is very fine. I think very knowledgeable guy in the Word of God. Wayne Grudem is is uh, written books on theology. He's pro charismatic. There's a lot of people who are very strong in the Word of God. So don't misunderstand me about that. But now on the cessationist side, what you've got with them. Um, is they understand the Word of God very well, but they don't seem to understand the power of God very well. They write that off. So hence Jesus' statement in verse 24 that you do not understand the Scriptures, a lot of charismatics, and then he says, or the power of God, a lot of cessationists. You with me? Are you back in Mark? Yeah, Mark twelve twenty-four. 24. Uh, now the cessationists are... Uh, Generally, well versed in the scriptures, uh, although oftentimes their theology drives their interpretation of the scriptures. They've concluded that the Holy Spirit doesn't function today like he did in the old times in the, in the first century. They're very, t- and here's another thing you, you tend to see they seem to be very rationalistic in their approach. Uh, so they oftentimes uh, seem to cut down anything that would appear to be supernatural and doesn't, uh, is not easily grasped by, by the mind. For example, the gift of teaching, they would say, is functional. Well, yeah, because we can grasp that because that gift has a natural counterpart. But the idea of healing, you know, that it's not got a natural counterpart unless you count physicians. Yeah, I, think yeah, I was going
3: to say, isn't that uh, some of that the way they think it's because of their own disappointment, things that they have not seen come to pass. Yeah. Um, because it's it's very easy to be disillusioned when your emotions are involved in something and it doesn't come <clears throat> to the way you like yeah. to see it. Yeah. So you would you would calmly conclude, instead of accusing God of of not doing what he said, it's well, maybe he's just not doing that anymore. And so that's a, just a way to explain it so they can cope
0: with this situation well I, that's probably true of some um uh proverbs 14 4 says uh, when the, when there's no <coughs> ox in the stable the stable's clean yeah. but with the ox comes much increase yeah yeah barbara
1: Thank you. Thinking this through, I think the main manifestation of the Holy Spirit would be preaching the Word with power. It is. So I think it
2: would be a mistake to think that in the cessationist churches the Holy Spirit's not moving because I think Jonathan Edwards was a cessationist.
0: Well, you're getting ahead of me because that's where I'm coming to. He
2: spoke <laughs> the Word in power, and then these other things followed.
0: Right. What what I'm saying, what I want to say there is, I've, I've said this, the charismatics are not devoid of the knowledge of the Word. Nor are the cessationists devoid of the power of God, but they limit the way in which it can be manifested. Yeah, Susan.
1: Can you order this Great Awakening off Amazon? It's a pamphlet. Can
0: oh, off Amazon Williams pamphlet. I mean, the Edwards pamphlet. I don't know.
1: I mean, is it so?
0: Barbara a might have. What, what you get a lot of times in the cessationist side is you start talking about healings or they start rolling their eyes. I, I know I can think of one situation where a woman was healed of cancer when she was on her deathbed and she gave that testimony in the church and they dumped her out. Um, now I think that church was somewhat liberal as well uh, as cessationists, but you know, they tend to uh, marginalize that sort of thing and, and put it aside. Yet, uh, there are tremendous people who preach with power. One of my favorite preachers is Alistair Begg. Uh, Have you ever listened to Alistair Begg? He's my favorite Scottish preacher. (laughs) You know, I love to hear him, and he preaches with power. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit are functional today. I absolutely disagree with him on that point. But is he preaching under the power of God? Yes, he is. Uh, Chuck Swindoll. I don't agree with Chuck Swindoll's theology, but is he a powerful man of God who preaches the word? Yes, of course he is. Uh, The area of theology that I don't agree with him on is secondary. I mean, it's not primary. I mean, he is absolutely solid and orthodox in his teaching. He did, but he's a cessationist. I don't agree with that aspect of his of his beliefs and his teaching. But he he preaches with power. Sinclair Ferguson. I don't know if he's a cessationist or not. Uh, he's a powerful uh, speaker under the with the word of God. What I've always wanted is somebody who was trained in a seminary like Dallas Theological, who had the training and the depth of Scripture, but who understood the power of Jesus in the Holy Spirit. Gary Hutchison. That's what he is. He's trained at Dallas Theological Seminary, but understands the power of God and the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, I said, God, if I could just find somebody who's like that, well, here he comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are others like him. John Piper believes in, is not a cessationist, but is a powerful uh, preacher. One of the great preachers of the 20th century was David Martin Lloyd Jones, a strong reformed uh, guy, but uh, people listened listen to him preach, and they'd be mesmerized. And he believed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he, he was not a cessationist. So they crossed lines. He was not a charismatic. Lloyd-Jones Lloyd Jones wrote a book called Joy Unspeakable, which dealt with uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he came down solidly for it. And he did a chapter on the Pentecostals and he absolutely rips them to pieces on their doctrine. And then he does a chapter on the cessationists and he absolutely rips them to pieces. And then he said, if I had to pick one or the other, I'd pick the Pentecostals because cessationism is quenching the spirit and that's sin. So, always, always on this controversial subject come to it with an open mind, prepared To evaluate even phenomena that appears to be of the Holy Spirit, be prepared to evaluate it. Don't come into it with a knee-jerk reaction, or that can't be the Holy Spirit, or that's got to be the Holy Spirit. You can't do that. The enemy will swallow you up like a tasty little morsel if you don't have your brain in gear when you go into these areas and begin to look at this. Are you with me? Yes, sir.
2: But isn't that the importance of the Holy Spirit communicating God's truth and God's power in our lives because they will polish and put a, a now um, like a Joel Osteen, they will polish a guy like that, put, <laughs> put him out there <laughs>
0: right
2: and <laughs> the, 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 the average people that now are, are with and within us have no idea, they have no spiritual background to measure that. You right. can't measure that. All you see is some production. And that's that's a very dangerous right. They don't have the here
0: here, here is the fundamental basis for evaluating all of it. Yeah, I'm sorry, I cut you But off. the Holy Spirit,
2: that's part of the Holy Spirit, is to share God's wisdom, God, how God did it, how God does it, and how God wants to do it, uh, versus what Hollywood's able to roll out there and make it look like. And that's, that's part of the problem with setting up a certain human, as well, I really like the way this guy does it, or I like the way that guy right. does it. And you have to discern that, and you have to know you have to f- see them as from God. It, get beyond their persona, and it's it is God speaking through. Them. Uh, the the enemy. <clears throat> but the
0: enemy is also very active among quote preachers. What needs to happen, folks, is the cessationists and the charismatics need to come together, because each has something the other needs, uh, and there is there is so much more to the Holy Spirit and to his involvement in our lives than either side understands because they've sort of splintered it by being at odds with each other. But the Holy Spirit is the way in which we enter God's presence. I mean, it is, and the way we are instructed, the way we are taught. In fact, Jesus tells them, the apostles in John 8, and we'll get to that, Uh, One of these days, it'll probably be, can y'all come back next week? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus tells them in John 15, (coughs) 8 through 11, that the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He also says in that chapter, and he will, in chapters, I'm not 15, 16. And in chapter 16, he also says, the Holy Spirit will instruct you and teach you And we'll get to that in a minute, because that's in my notes. But it's important to understand that the controversy shouldn't be happening. Because there's truth on both sides, and there's error on both sides. I'll give you an example of it, uh, is that um, a cessationist would typically think that God isn't gonna show up at a Pentecostal meeting and do great mighty things because the Pentecostals' doctrine is messed up. And they do have some messy doctrine. But they forget that if God waited till we all had our doctrine straight, He'd never show up anywhere. And the Pentecostals make the mistake of thinking that because God does show up, that He approves their doctrine. God shows up because He's merciful and compassionate and delights to be in the presence of his children, whether they're Presbyterian, Pentecostal, or whatever. (laughs) See, And that's where we have to come together and stop drawing lines against each other because we are all in Jesus and the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. wants to manifest Mm -hmm. himself however he's pleased to do it. Mm -hmm. And if it's in speaking in tongues with an interpretation of tongues, hallelujah. And if it's with the power of preaching and prophetic word, hallelujah, that's what he wants to do. And we've got to stop hindering him with these kinds of arguments yeah. uh, and dissensions. So that's where we're coming from in this class. It's a long introduction. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Anthony. Uh,
3: one more thing that, that I've heard of. I don't know. It's probably not in this part of the country because I'm basically from the Northeast. Um, well, we'll forgive you. <laughs> uh, Yankee. Yes. Uh, true that's and true. Right. I'm married to you. Yeah, it's okay. That's okay. That's all right. Um, what I've come across a couple of times in talking to people about the Holy Ghost is basically they don't mean to do it but they don't look at him as a person uh-huh. they don't look at him they look at him as a puff of smoke that slides under the door or something they don't look at him <laughs> <Yes>. as a,
0: <laughs> as you a want person a am to pick up with what page 4 here <laughs> on my notes <laughs> okay
3: Go I crazy. mean because he is equal he is in the triune mm-hmm. he is part uh, of the triune he is a part. person He's a person, and so we don't even address him as a person, and I don't think people elevate him to the equality of God the Father and God the Son. He's just this extra thing that comes along that does stuff. The, the, but he is just as much
0: God as the other two. Well, what's important there is what you said is, and it's the very next point in my note. <laughs> Incidentally, I always consider the Holy Spirit is moving among us when you all start making comments that are right before I'm about to get to that very thing. <laughs> yeah, Susan.
1: Well, um, and because of what Tony's saying and because of the prayer that was led at Christmas over our meal, there not there a pr- proper way to pray? Though, Don't we always pray to God? In the name of Jesus, but where does the Holy Spirit fall into everything?
2: Oh, we'll I mean, get
0: to that. Okay, good. Yeah, I we'll was, get to that. that my because he he, is, he is very active in our prayer. Uh, if he's not there, there's no prayer.
1: But I mean, you address God.
0: You address the name. Father in the name of Jesus, uh, and it's the Holy Spirit who is prompting your prayer and interceding but for you. But you don't address
1: Jesus. Well, you can. You I can mean, address you don't any don't of them. Right. Jesus. Yeah, you can. Okay. Uh,
0: there, you know, there's no rule. That's, Jesus doesn't say always address the Father. But when he was asked, teach us to pray, he says, begin, our Father who is in heaven. But they're people. I mean, they're, they're persons. Yeah. But primarily we would address the Father through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The tr- what's neat about prayer, folks, is the Trinity yeah. is actively involved with us. Right. So it's the it's the triune God that we are addressing and that we are involved with when we pray. I wish we had time to go into some of the stuff Hebrews says. Didn't mean to throw you off. Yeah, well, about. The, 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 but <laughs> it's not necessarily
3: on one. one more thing. It's not necessarily a rabbit trail, but you can. If I'm blaspheming the Holy, you know. Just up, you know. Um,
0: blaspheming like, the Holy Spirit, you can. Okay, no, it's blaspheme like, out there. What yeah,
3: well, for me, is, is what yeah. I gather from the Bible. When I'm praying, it's like the Holy Spirit is giving. It's 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 ushering me into the presence of God that's right that's exactly right it's like I'm even though I'm not praying to him he's in me and I'm sitting right there with God you know what I
0: like about John Wimber's comment one time he said to the Lord Lord why do you hang around me the Lord said I just like you that's the way he is he likes you. He doesn't just love you, He likes you. He likes being around He wants to be around you a whole lot more than you want to be around Him, believe me. Uh, and so He is changing us and drawing us to want to be in His presence more. We are utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit to utterly change us in the way that we are and our attitudes, and we're going to get into that. Yes, ma'am, did mm-hmm. you have I was just going to say, there's one
1: thing I want to caution everybody on. If you're speaking around children, Please use the, the name Holy Spirit instead of Holy Ghost because in the 40s when I was a little girl, okay, I knew Jesus and I knew God the Father, but I didn't mess with the Holy Ghost. Because we had Casper the ghost. He was cute, but in the background were all those other
0: ghosts. Okay, that I hear you. Of him for a lot of years. Well, I, I use the Holy Ghost a lot. in my Holy Spirit, use Holy
1: Spirit. Yeah, I, well, I'll keep Did that in mind. You I know my, what's
0: going to. A you know, I, I teach my, you uh, know, I have a breakfast meeting with one of my sons-in-law and his grandson, and we study the Bible together at the awesome. Snooty Pig. And uh, the waitresses now re- expect us in today. My coffee was already waiting for me before I got there. But, um, I use the Holy Ghost a lot as a mm-hmm. term. I actually prefer the term uh, just because I guess it's King James and, you know, if it was good enough for St. Paul, King James is good enough for me, that sort of thing. But it's an interesting thought. I'll keep that in mind. Uh, i stay sensitive to that. Okay, what are we doing? Uh, we're doing what Anthony uh, brought up and that is, that we want to see the Holy Spirit's impact in our lives, uh, both uh, powerfully and biblically. And what we want to do is we want to start by looking at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Then we want to look secondly at Jesus' dependence on the Holy Spirit in when he was on earth. And thirdly, we want to look at our dependence on the Holy Spirit and in our lives for God's glory. Hebrews, I mean, uh, Psalm 115 begins, Not to us, O Lord, belong the glory, but to you. Uh, And that is always the way we want to approach in this. uh, Not to us belong the glory, but to you. The Holy Spirit wants to use us And uh, let me quote uh, a Moravian missionary that the fruit of our ministry might be an appropriate reward for his sufferings. That the fruit of our ministry might be a reward for his sufferings. Uh, And that is only going to happen if the fruit of your ministry is produced through the Holy Spirit moving on you and through you. And so, the more we know about Him, the more we can cooperate with Him. Uh, it's ignorance that keeps a lot of us from really functioning the way we should. And the Holy Spirit is committed to seeing that we come out of that and get out of that. And all of us are in, I'm not up here with all the answers, folks. Please don't get that impression. You can get the idea that I know everything, and of course, those of you that know me know good and well that's not mm-hmm. true. But I don't know everything. I'm I'm learning. I've been walking with the Lord now. This month, forty-four years, and I'm still learning, more and more. And when we get to heaven, boy, are we going to learn? I mean, the great learning curve is going to shoot up. I always say to people, all these questions we had of God, you know, we get to heaven, we're going to say, Lord, what? Oh, it's, oh. But but what about? Oh, and then there was. Oh, I see. Uh, One of the things I like about what Mm -hmm. Gary says about when it shows a picture of them in heaven, all of us standing around the throne, one of the things that we give him praise for is his wisdom. Mm -hmm. And the way Gary draws this, and I agree with it completely, and that is the realization of all of the things that happened in our lives that were so perplexing, that made no sense, that we couldn't put together when we stand before him we'll see the goodness of his wisdom in all of that because listen folks it's okay to be perplexed in this life the apostle paul was he says in second corinthians 7 he says perplexed but not in despair so if the apostle got perplexed from time to time it's okay for us uh, to do so don't ever let that throw you there are going to be lots of times we don't understand why it is what it is, but Revelation indicates that we will praise Him for His wisdom, because in those days we will see why it was what it was, and we'll know it instantly. But that doesn't mean we know everything. We are going to continue. Do you think you'll know everything when you stand before Him? The minute you're in heaven you'll know all there is to know about God? No, you're going to spend eternity going into that in-depth. Uh, You'll never stop knowing all. You'll never grasp all there is to know about God. But the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that is deposited in us to begin to bring us to that. God has a position for each one of you in his kingdom. And he is preparing each one of you through the Holy Spirit in your life to occupy the particular calling in his eternal kingdom he has for you. Therefore, we all come down different roads, endure different trials, go through different circumstances because we are being prepared for the particular position in his kingdom that he has. Yes, ma'am.
1: And to answer to that, we also have deposited to us the differences so that when we do come together, they are fit together.
0: The gifts are all different. He's <coughs> using us all in different ways. No gift is in the... In the from the standpoint of the growth of the body is superior to the other. All right, shall we go on? Oh my gosh, that was the introduction. Uh, It's time to take a break. Uh, We'll see how many of you make it back.